Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode we're talking about your Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about why we wouldn't want Ben Simmons to be a Piston, what stood out to us about Josh Jackson's preseason play, and winning the battle on the boards. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. What's up, Ben? Laz, happy Sunday. Happy end of preseason. It's it kind of a weird preseason, all things considered. I'm, I'm ready for some real basketball. How about you, Laz? I, I am also looking forward to some real basketball. Uh, even if that doesn't necessarily mean uh, winning basketball, I will say that that last preseason game against the the Sixers was entertaining, mm-hmm. if uh, if nothing else. But uh, I wanted to start with some off the court stuff to begin the podcast. We joked about it at the end, but it's become as the the Ben Simmons to Detroit rumors have persisted. I figured we should at least talk about it. So. I've been ignoring it because I don't think it's a good de- good idea. And uh, after the DBB on three we both did earlier this week, uh, I know that you also are not like a huge fan of it. But um, what do you think about the the Ben Simmons in Detroit uh, experience? What do you think that would look like? I don't think it would look that good. And it, I don't think it's necessarily about Ben Simmons, the player. I actually like Ben Simmons. I think he's in a very challenging situation that just is snowballing know out of control we'll see if philly can salvage it or not but you know to me um there's redundancies i don't like specifically about you know some of the things he's not great at are some of the things that i see killian hayes is not being particularly great at and i don't know i don't know what sense it would make to bring in those sorts of redundancies when you're still trying to develop killian hayes right i mean killian is still years away from his prime Still very much an unfinished product. Um, you also have some redundancies with Cade Cunningham, maybe. I think it kind of depends on how much of a ball handler Cade turns out to be in the pros versus an off-the-ball kind of guy. Um, and and I, I mean, his weakness, right, offensively, his weaknesses offensively are already sort of roster weaknesses, um, at least from the perimeter players. players. They have a few shooters, obviously. We've been seeing some of that in preseason, but um, yeah, I just don't love the fit. Um, I don't love the timing. Um, and look, I, I think Ben Simmons is better than what he showed in the playoffs a season ago in some of those you know awful moments that you know passing up the wide open layup slash dunk foremost among them. I think he's going to bounce back. I don't know if it'll happen in Philadelphia. 
Um, but I, I don't know. He just doesn't make a lot of sense to me for all of those reasons for the Pistons. I, what if if Killian is in a Ben Simmons trade, which is what I presume some formulation would look like? Would that help how you feel about uh, Simmons in uh, overlap with a uh, skill set with some of the other guys? Eh, I mean, to some degree, I guess. Um, it's still so. It still feels like a weird fit to me. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I like I said. I think Ben Simmons is a is a plus player. I think he's a positive player in spite of the head case issues. But you have to put him in a scenario where I, he kind of has the, his his own instincts or his own worst enemies. Sometimes I think uh, he doesn't need to be a shooter, and I. I he does. He should be surrounded by guys who he can facilitate for. And I, I don't know. Does Detroit have that roster? I mean, obviously you've got Jeremy Grant, you've got Cade Cunningham, um, Sadiq Bay to some degree. I don't know. I just I don't know. Laz, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm missing something obvious. But I just don't see the fit with with the roster as it's constructed right now. I, I no, I agree with you. Um, when you consider like what it would take to bring a Ben Simmons here, we know that the Sixers are asking for a preposterous amount uh, in return for trade. They've already, uh, I believe the report was they asked for CJ McCollum and three first round picks on and three first round swaps. So essentially like six first round picks in CJ McCollum for Ben Simmons. Um, I would not want to give up like Jeremy Grant and six first round picks. That doesn't sound appealing to me. Um, But yeah, the, and Simmons is such a such a weird player. He's such a he's such a he's a very good player. And I want to get that out of the way, right? Because when you critique a guy like Simmons and people see the obvious talent that he has and they say like you think this guy is bad. And it's like no, I mean like I don't think he's bad. I think he's a very good player. It's just like his limitations are so big. They his limitations require like so much work on the part of roster construction to make things work. And I think an easier lift for the team and Simmons would be for him to uh, accept that he is like, not the type of player that he thinks he is. And that would make things like easier for him in the NBA. And it probably could even like make things easier in Philadelphia, right? Like he still, uh, he, he wants to handle the ball a lot. He wants to handle the ball in transition and, like that's in in the half court, like in a playoff setting. That's just like not how playoff basketball works. And so, it, it you you run into like this thing where he's an eighty two game player and not a sixteen game player, right? He can help you win during the regular season because on any given night he can be bigger, faster, stronger uh, than uh, any other like uh, than like most than you know ninety fifth percentile of like NBA players. But when it comes down to you know, everybody has, you know, the same level of, or everybody has like elevated levels of athleticism and speed and skill and talent. Uh, he he kind of wanes his, his play kind of wanes. And that's a, it's, that's a really tough limitation to have as a player. If you're trying to like win uh, with that player. The other thing I will say about Simmons that like makes me not really interested, despite the obvious talent is that like whenever I talk to people who are closer to Simmons than I am, whenever I talk to people who are closer to the Sixers than I am, they're like, yeah, like we don't know about this guy's like 
we don't we don't know about the way that this guy approaches the game like doesn't really give us a lot of confidence right the i know everybody makes fun of uh him hiring like his brother as his shooting coach right and like Cade cunningham has his brother and his cousin as his shooting coach right so there's nothing like inherently wrong with that but you know if you know Cade got better as a shooter between you know the end of his high school career and the beginning of his college career and you know ben simmons has kind of plateaued as a shooter from where he was in college to you know the first four years of his nba career and so it's like well maybe it's time to make a change on that front but he doesn't want to right it people people i talk to don't think that he is in like the right headspace to be better offensively as an nba player and that's a rough place to be and so that's a that's enough for me to be like despite the obvious talent despite what he would bring on defense like a a ben simmons isaiah stewart defensive pairing would just be like magnificent to watch on a night in and night out basis but uh yeah just the the offensive limitations and and the mentality that makes me think the offensive limitations aren't going to get any better don't make me interested in the Ben Simmons trade. That's a weird place to be, right? Because when we I don't know we didn't really talk about this because we didn't really talk. Uh, no, we didn't talk about this. We talked about like Shea Gilgis Alexander uh, before the draft, right? Mm-hmm. We talked. We we are not necessarily like opposed to bringing in another young, expensive. Uh, like high level talent to this Pistons team, even like during the midst of a rebuild, right? Um, I don't remember exactly where we landed on the question of Shea Gilgis Alexander, but both of us were much more receptive to that than than to the Ben Simmons experience. I think, and so I think that's an indication that like it's not, it's not just that we don't want like to get any better at this point in time. We don't want any talent on the on the Pistons. We're not willing to part with like you know Jeremy Grant or anything like that. We're not trying to overvalue the players we have. It's just that like Ben Simmons is not the guy that moves the needle in that way. I hear you loud and clear, my friend. Yeah. All right, Ben. Now we can uh, we can move on to the actual preseason games that uh, we saw this week. First up is the Memphis game. The Memphis game didn't happen. Uh, don't worry <laughs> about it. No, uh, <laughs> you can just burn the tape from tape from the Memphis game. I made it about halfway through on the rewatch. Watch the whole thing live. Made about halfway through on the rewatch, and it's like I'm I'm not learning anything uh, from this game. the The biggest thing I think from this game was that uh, Sadiq sprained his ankle, so he didn't play the last two preseason game. Uh, ben, what's what's up with the the spate of sprained ankles? Is there like a do all the Pistons need to wear high tops? We need to get like some <laughs> some better tape in the equipment room. Like, what's up with all these high ankle sprains? So it's funny you mention that because like I have been noticing. It seems like basketball shoes have gotten increasingly minimal since I was a player. And I find that super interesting because I, I had severe ankle sprains throughout my playing career. So when I see a guy get an ankle sprain, like I just have PTSD, <laughs> like instant flashbacks <laughs> to uh, all sorts of pain. Um, and the only thing that heals it is time. Right. And ugh, if you, if you don't, if you don't get through the pain and you try to play through it, you just end up dealing with it for the whole season and potentially beyond. And and that's not something I wish on anybody, especially these, you know, these young Pistons trying to define themselves and, you know, the roster and all that kind of stuff, just super bad luck. And, you know, obviously you look at Killian concussion, Cade and Sadiq with ankle sprints. Like those are three of our big minute players, right? So this, this is no fun at all. Um, And unfortunately, 
like a lot of the questions I had going into the preseason remain unanswered, right? We hardly saw Killian play. We barely, well, we didn't see Cade play at all, right? So those injuries meant um, lots of unanswered questions going into opening night next week. Oh, absolutely. Um, what did you, what did you think of Killian of what we got to see from Killian, uh, in this game? This is the only preseason game he played, obviously with the concussion. Um, he got concussed in the fourth quarter, if I remember correctly, or the, the, the play on which it looked like he got concussed was in the fourth. It was pretty late in the game. And so, you know, before that he'd still had a, you know, pretty underwhelming game. Uh, what'd you think of Killian's preseason? Yeah. You know, obviously super abbreviated. Um, you know, hard to draw any real conclusions. There was one clip floating around Twitter, Les. I think I might have seen it from your timeline. Um, it was a dribble penetration. I think it was off of a pick and roll where he kind of got into and under the big man and it sort of leveraged his body in a way that it enabled him to get kind of all the way to the rim, which which I really like. He wasn't able to finish, unfortunately. You know, that, that part of his game is still very much a work in progress. But what I liked about that play in particular, and I was I appreciated that it got clipped, was, you know, that was a big knock on Killian a season ago. He would get into the paint and sort of almost avoid contact and throw up those floaters. Uh, this was just nice to see him actually get into a big man's body, get all the way to the rim and, you know, didn't finish, but at least got all the way there. So that's a step in the right direction. And, you know, beyond that, defensively, he still continues to look advanced beyond his years, which is a blessing. Yeah. Had uh, had one catch and shoot three that uh, was also kind of nice to see. But um, there was also like very clearly times when John ja Morant gave him trouble defensively. And that's going to happen, right? Like John ja, well, ja Morant's. He, he's a problem generally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was also like noticeable that like, hey, you know, it was like he looked really good in summer league against these summer league guys. Like that maybe we shouldn't expect a uh, – level of like impact a heightened level of like impact defensively from Killian uh, right away. That's uh that was what my, my takeaway was as far as the concussion goes, he did not play the last two preseason games, but he has been practicing. And so I think, I think the way that Dwayne Casey said the protocol works was he had to have at least three practices and like no symptoms in order to play. Um, and, I don't know how many more practices are between now and the start of the regular season, but he has at least one, he has at least two practices under his belt. I think we've seen like the photos they take from practice. He's been participating. So, so we've got that. So there remains, I think a decent chance we see Killian on opening night. Uh, Like Kate, on the other hand, like, I I don't know, man, your, your guess is as good as mine. I saw uh, some people frustrated on, uh, on social media, on a bunch of different social media channels that they had, uh, purchased opening night tickets with the expectation that they were going to see Cade Cunningham. If, oh, and if, uh, <laughs> and if that wasn't going to happen, they were going to be uh, pretty frustrated and understandably. So uh, what would you do if you bought, you know, not floor seats, but like pretty good. And you brought a, uh, you brought some pretty good seats for opening night, Ben and Cade Cunningham doesn't show up. I mean, I still go. <laughs> so there's True. that, but yeah, that'd be, I mean, incredibly disappointing. It, it's the hopeful, franchise turnaround sort of moment and it just gets delayed Ugh. i mean pistons tickets haven't been all that expensive the last few years but i have to imagine there's a little more demand now than there than there was so yeah that that would be terribly disappointing oh yeah that'd be, that would be tough 
man i can't imagine i'm trying to imagine like flying down like me for me personally like flying <laughs> down to see Caden is like he's not gonna play like yeah okay i'd be i'd be i'd be kind of mad about that um but with no Cade and no killian um as met we've seen more of Saban lee and now we're gonna move to the Knicks game and Saban lee was surprisingly effective uh in that Knicks game shot four four from three point uh from three point land had a couple nice floaters, a couple nice assists. Um, you know, we're going to, he had also had some nice moments in the Philadelphia game. Uh, ben, what did you, do you think Saban Lee kind of maximized the minutes that he got in preseason uh, because of the injuries in front of him at his position? Well, I thought he looked um, better in the New York and Philly games, as you mentioned. I think last week my comment about him was just, stop trying to earn your contract because he already yeah. did <laughs> i feel like he settled into himself a little bit um i liked especially some of his um some of his assists off the dribble getting into the paint um creating looks for other guys i think i think that's obviously a positive um I, i'm curious to see if he edges out Corey joseph in the rotation at all or i don't know my sense is he's still kind of the odd man out right I, I, that's just kind of my sense looking at it Right now, I think it's killing in Corey Joseph, and then he's probably third on the depth chart. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if he did enough to, to change any of that in just two preseason games. Um, but I was happy to see him settle down and, and play, you know, just play normal basketball. So that, I think, is a positive. Definitely. Um I do, I do think he's just going to be – well, if Killian's not back right away, like we are definitely going to see some Saban Lee in the regular season if that happens. So he does look equipped to play those spot minutes in the NBA at least. I don't feel like we're – I don't feel like the the team is like super deficient at point guard because Saban Lee is in the game, right, um, despite his offensive limitations, and which I think he'll get to work on in the G League. Uh but yeah, Saban Saban played had a pretty good preseason. Um, the I don't expect him to go like four or four from three on any given night, and it was noticeable to me that even on even on the nights where he was hitting open looks, teams were not teams didn't believe it. Right, they were still playing him uh, as a non shooter, which is part of the reason why he got four open looks across the the course of the game. But um, Again, that's that's improvement. I hope that he makes in the G League, and that we see like next year we see a more uh, willing and able, like off the dribble three point shooter uh, in in Saban Lee. But that's gonna, you know, that improvement that's not gonna happen overnight. Um, but I think the the other areas of his game are advanced enough that um, I don't feel like bad about like what he brings to the table as a point guard in the NBA right now. Like that's really his only. That's really his biggest um, and most important, like offensive limitation. But like all the other stuff, he's got pretty much under command. If he if he plays with the type of pace and uh, control and fl- and flow of the game that he did in the last two preseason games, like he's a perfectly serviceable backup NBA point guard with you know and at at his you know pretty young age with the upside for for obviously a lot more. Um, yeah, that was it was a it was a good game for Saban uh, against the Knicks. Um, what didn't look so good against the Knicks was the ball movement. Right, they only had eight more assists than turnovers. They had a twenty three assists and fifteen turnovers. 
The non-Saban Pistons were 7 of 34 from 3 against the Knicks. Um, and we saw a better ball movement from, and, you know, part due to Saban and part due to Josh Jackson, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. We saw a better ball movement out of the starters than the bench. And so, you know, between the Knicks game, uh, where the starters moved the ball better than the bench did, the Spurs game, where the bench moved the ball better than the starters did, and the Memphis game, where nobody moved the ball at all because uh, it was just a very sclerotic offensive uh, game. Ben, uh, we've seen like all permutations of like how the Pistons can move the ball, except both the starters and the bench uh, getting the ball moving at the same time. Do you think we're ever going to see that <laughs> during the regular season? Yeah, well, and by starters and bench, that's been a very fluid term the last couple games with all the injuries, right? Very so true. you've got yeah. these awkward, odd rotations that, you know, we hopefully don't see huge minutes of, um, you know, hopefully we get um, our, our young guards back, right? And hopefully that's a bit of a game changer. But no, I think you're completely right. The, th- the thing that the Pistons, so the third quarter of the Knicks game, this really stands out to me. Obviously, Julius Randle just kind of went nuts and took over the game in the third quarter. But offensively, they got into that mode where it's, you know, one guy pump fakes, takes three dribbles and passes to the next guy who pump fakes and dribbles twice and passes to the next guy who takes the contested three-pointer with three seconds on the shot clock, right? (laughs) Like, that was the offense there for a few minutes. So, uh that that is particularly ugly basketball to watch and um it was kind of it kind of felt like when the Knicks decided they want to turn on the defense uh that that second unit in particular just didn't really know what to do with that and so it was just a lot of contested threes and unfortunately they just weren't shooting the ball particularly well and Julius Randle was just running through and over everyone <laughs> in that third quarter and it was too much for the Pistons to handle. So, yeah, I mean, ball movement, finding a way to, to keep the ball moving when the defense starts to tighten the screws is something they're definitely going to have to uh, find a way to keep doing. Because when they when they don't move the ball, their offense is just going to be that dribble, dribble, pass, dribble, dribble, pass, three-point shot at the buzzer of the shot clock, I think. I think the um... – and, I, and they didn't shoot the ball well in the Knicks game, obviously. And I think better ball movement will help them shoot the ball better. But uh, you, this is this is an area in like which I really think it would be useful to have Cade, right? The, because Cade is a guy who, if he dribbles the ball seven times, you still feel like you can get a good look out of that. And Jeremy is the only other guy on the team you can really say that about. And he had a pretty good game against the Knicks, not like a mind blowing one, but a pretty good game. But at the same time, like you didn't necessarily want him uh, doing that for an entire quarter. Right. And so, the, and and he had to defend Randall on the other end as Randall was popping off in the third quarter. So I was like, yeah, it's a, it a tough scene is a tough scene, but that's not, um, that's not going to be every night for this team. They moved the ball much better in the Philly game, actually. Um, they also they also got to the free throw line. Uh, they got to the free throw line a bunch. Jeremy himself had twelve free throw attempts uh, against the Sixers. Um, ben, what did you what did you think of the way that the Pistons were able to get to the free throw line across the entirety of this preseason? If I remember correctly, they were shooting free throws at a rate like roughly equal to what they were during last year's regular season, but you know, obviously without you know Caden Killian and Sadiq. 
Yeah, well, I think in particular for Jeremy Grant, this is a big positive. I think the thing that that's going to differentiate Jeremy Grant from being, you know, kind of a, a volume score and a like really efficient score is the ability to get to the free throw line consistency uh, consistently. Now, obviously, we talked about this a couple weeks ago with Media Day. This is something that's on Jeremy's radar. He worked on his body. He wants to be able to absorb contact over the course of an 82 game season and get to the free throw line. And I, I really think he needs to do that to, to take the next step forward in his offensive development. Um, you know, they did some interesting things with putting him in the mid post a little bit. Um, but then when, when he's attacking off of the dribble and getting to the free throw line, he's just so much more difficult to deal with. The free throw is still the most efficient way to score the ball in the NBA and look 12 free throw attempts. That's crazy. I mean, if he's getting to the line eight, nine, 10, times in any given game as good of a free throw shooter as he is uh, that just makes him so much more difficult to deal with and I think really that that's sort of his x factor when he's getting to the free throw line that means he's playing the type of offense uh, that he's best at which is putting the ball on the floor attacking you know putting his length and athleticism to his advantage and, and putting defenders in awkward positions and you know I think they were really able to exploit the fact that Philly you know, their interior defense, given the diminished lineup they were working with, um, you know, that, that that wasn't quite as good as it might normally be. And he did a great job recognizing and attacking. And Andre Drummond was helpful, <laughs> following in anyone and everyone <laughs> when there was an opportunity. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think free throw shooting, getting to the line, that's super important for Jeremy Grant. You know, we'll see what Kay does as well. Uh, and we've talked about Killian already, right? Like finding contact and ways to get to the line when you're interior instead of avoiding it those those will be really important things for killing as well so yeah absolutely a huge thing encouraging to see because I, I feel like as the season went on last year jeremy sort of faded and i think one of the things was he stopped attacking um so mm -hmm. if he can do that for 82 games that's going to be huge for his productivity i think so i have a I've, okay so i got two competing things in my head i want to talk about jeremy grant's energy and activity uh, on offense and I want to talk about his improved rebounding over the last two preseason games and how that contributed to the team's improved rebounding over the last two preseason games. But also you brought up Andre Drummond. And so I want to talk, I want to ask you, Ben, if you, what you thought of the fans kind of booing Andre every single time he touched the ball on, in Andre's first return to LCA since fans were allowed in the building. Yeah, I, I tweeted about this and got some people really ticked off apparently because I defended <laughs> Andre Drummond. I don't think Andre Drummond deserves to be booed in Detroit. Um, we've talked ad nauseum about Andre Drummond. Um, yeah, we've we've talked a lot about Andre. Yeah, I don't, I I don't. The fact that he was never that he was never able to become the superstar player that deserved um you know like the super max giant contract that Stan Van Gundy gave him is not all his fault. Um, he he was the player that he was when they gave him that contract, and I think everyone knew who he was except him. <laughs> I, don't th I think he's the only guy who didn't quite figure that out. Uh, and maybe he'll get the chance to under Doc Rivers, you know, on a vet minimum deal. Maybe maybe he will. Maybe he won't. Um, but look, over the course of his career with the Pistons, and the overwhelming majority of the time, he was the best piston wearing a uniform. I mean, the only thing, the only time I think you can say that was not the case was when Blake Griffin was playing great basketball. 
Um, I think you could say Tobias Harris and Reggie Jackson, the year they made the playoffs under Van Gundy, were obviously much more important offensively to the team's success. But, you know, Andre Drummond was extremely durable. He hardly ever missed a game. Um, Yes, I think it's fair to say there were times where his effort was questionable, but I think, you know, he was, a, he was still a young developing, you know, early 20s man. How many of us when we were in our early 20s didn't do stupid stuff? I mean, come on, come on a little bit of slack. And uh, as we've talked about, those rosters were so, so bad. And I think, you know, if you had to play with, you know, the 38-year-old Jose Calderon, maybe you wouldn't try so hard <laughs> all the time either. So I, I hope that stops. I hope people stop booing him. You don't have to cheer for him. That's fine. You know, I don't think he deserves to have his jersey hanging in the rafters or anything crazy like that. But come on, he doesn't. He doesn't deserve to get booed. That that wasn't fair. Yeah, I thought it was weird because, like the, for one, the split with Andre has been like, it's two years ago, right? It's two years and like almost two and a half, like completely different iterations of the team. Yeah, ago. It's it hasn't been that long, but it feels like Andre Drummond hasn't been a piston in a very long time. And so I and I know, you know, some of this is partially because, you know, fans haven't had the chance to be in arenas um to to give Andre like that that sort of welcome. But yeah, I don't know. It was it felt weird. It felt I'd you know, if this were, you know, immediately after the trade and you know things were a little bit different, I would understand the animus. But like now, like too much, too much time has passed for me to feel very strongly emotionally about Andre Drummond, like one way or another, right? I, I agree that like he shouldn't have his his number retired in the rafters. I agree that you know he shouldn't be you know cheered and given you know a huge video tribute with, when now the fans are in the arena. But you know I didn't, I didn't think he get to, he deserved to get booed every single time he touched the ball either. That was uh that was weird to me. Yeah, and it's like. You know, there are very few individual players that I would ever boo just because of who they are, (laughs) ever. So I guess maybe I'm just, I'm a little bit biased and predisposed to not liking that as it is. But generally, like just in general, if, you know, if there's any former Piston who visits, right, they're on a new team now and they come visit the uh, I would just have said the palace out of habit. They come visit LCA. Like <laughs> the tradition has always been to give them a round of applause the first time they check in, right? Like to me, that just feels like ah, that. That's just the way you do it. So it it felt very odd to me to see that happen, and I I can imagine it was probably very discouraging for him as well. Yeah, uh, his his gay's comments after the game were actually pretty interesting. He said like he, you know, he still loved the city of Detroit. And he understood. He understood why the fans were frustrated, but he also like didn't really care that much. And like honestly, yeah, I I couldn't. I can't blame him. Um, it was interesting to watch him kind of do his Andre Drummond thing, like you like you mentioned, Ben, kind of following everything in sight. Um, you know, finishing a couple nice alley oops, uh, but also like helping his team lose the rebounding battle, which uh, was a big theme of what we talked about with the Pistons last week during the first preseason game. Uh, they managed to win the rebounding battle the last two preseason games um, without the help of doing anything with, without really doing anything major schematically uh, on defense is just a lot more uh, crashing from guards. I remember like Frank Jackson had like seven rebounds in the Knicks game, which is, which is wild. Uh, So it is possible for the team to win the rebounding battle, Ben. Um, Do you think, 
do you think it's a good idea for the team to kind of exhibit that level of um, attention to the glass, like over the course of the regular season? Like uh, we saw the team kind of struggle offensively against the Knicks um, and, and rebound the ball well. And, and managed to win the rebounding battle. I think they only won by like one rebound, but again, like still pretty noticeable. And uh, they did a better job of rebounding against the the Sixers, but again, a, a more limited lineup. Um, but it was definitely something they like paid attention to. So, is that is like now that they've done it, and we've seen that it can result in wins and it can result in losses? Like, is that something you want to see them continue to put a lot of emphasis on during the regular season? Well, I think the guards are going to have to rebound. Um, Killian is a good rebounder. We saw that a season ago. True. Um, I think we can expect, we can anticipate that Kate will be a better than average rebounder for a guard. Um, and in order to be competitive on the glass, the guards are going to have to rebound. That's just the way it's going to have to be. Um, Olenek, Trey Lyles, Jeremy Grant, like three out of your four bigs are average or below average rebounders. So, I mean, you still got to rebound like that rebounding is part of defense. You can defend perfectly and give up the offensive rebound and it was all for naught, right? So they're going to have to rebound. Uh, will they win the rebounding battle every night? And will the rebounding battle determine the outcome every single game? No, I don't, I don't think so. That would be crazy to think that. But certainly the roster deficiency on defense is defensive rebounding. And it's going to have to be a point of emphasis in particular for the perimeter players because you got to rebound. You just have to. You don't have to be dominant, but you have to compete on the glass in order to compete defensively. So, it, personally, I was encouraged, even though it didn't result in you know an undefeated preseason or anything. I was encouraged to see them uh, step up. Now, having said that, um, you know New York and Philly, given the the lineups they were putting out there, were not particularly dominant inside. Like you didn't have you know dominant interior defenders except for yeah, they're, they're playing Bell. a lot of Taj Gibson yeah to get super excited about <laughs> a lot of a lot of Taj back. and Randall not dynamic rebounders in their own right but still um that's what's going to take so uh yeah I, Frank Jackson's going to rebound that's great seven rebounds uh Jeremy Grant shout out to Jeremy Grant for hitting the glass too right like that's one of his big weaknesses and he delivered so more of that in order to be competitive is is a good thing what you we we haven't talked about him, and I don't know why I haven't noted him. But what did you think of Frank Jackson's uh, return to the lineup uh, in, across these preseason games? He looked he he started um, in the absence of Killian uh, instead of like Rodney Magruder. Uh, thank you for your service, Rodney Magruder. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he kind of did his Frank Jackson thing, but he he played pretty well in the uh, in the last two preseason games. What did you think of Frank Jackson, Ben? Yeah, I mean, he, Frank Jackson is Frank Jackson, and I, I think that's a positive thing. He's going to shoot the ball with absolutely no conscience, um, and that's what you need out of him, right? That's that's what he brings to the table 40% a season ago, and that's absolutely what you need out of him. And if he's going to rebound the ball too, uh, that's a huge plus. Um, I, I'm still very curious to see how Dwayne Casey navigates this perimeter rotation because you've got – you've got more guys who can play competent NBA basketball in the backcourt than you have minutes to give them. So, mm-hmm. you know, how's, well, not, how's not gonna, with the injuries, right? Well, true. Yeah. Um, you know, how's Casey going to navigate this? I, I tend to like Frank Jackson a little more because of the, the shooting. I think he gives you so much, um, so much more than like a guy like Hamadou Diallo or Josh Jackson. Although Josh has shot the ball pretty well in the preseason. 
Um, he gives you so much more in a shooting, but then he, he sacrifices things defensively, right, uh, in terms of his length and ability to switch and be disruptive, which both Diallo and Josh Jackson, um, and Josh in particular, the way he's chasing down blocks in transition is super exciting to watch. Um, so, yeah, I think I, it's not going to make or break lots of wins and losses, I don't think, but, you know, Casey has his hands full figuring out the second unit, I think, who's going to play where and when. No, absolutely. So, all right, I'm going to ask you about Josh Jackson, and then yeah. I'm going to go on from there. So, Josh Jackson, uh, he played so well in the Philadelphia game, and so he was so exciting to watch. It was, a, it was very much like a Josh Jackson game, and it made me kind of look up. People were talking about how he also had like an amazing preseason last year, and if you remember, at the beginning of the year last year, he was very impressive uh, for the team during the regular season until he had like a, he had like yeah. an ankle injury in like the first like 10 games. And uh, that kind of sapped a lot of uh, the uh, momentum he had for the season. Um, but I'm going to read you his stats for last preseason and this preseason. So last preseason, he scored 10 points, 10.8 points. So almost 11 points he had four rebounds and 1.8 assists on 48% from the floor, 50% from three and a hundred percent from the line this preseason. He's up to almost 13 points is 12.8 points, uh, five rebounds and 4.3 assists on 45% from the floor, 36% from three and 40. No, I think it's 50% uh, from the free throw line. He only shot like three free throws uh, or something like that. Uh, so he's shooting worse, but he's scoring more points. Um, but the other thing that's really uh, increase has been his playmaking the the assists going from 4.3 to for going from uh 1.8 to 4.3 that's a that's a pretty big jump so ben what have you uh have you have you noticed the playmaking bump from josh jackson this preseason has that been something that's uh been like re- really apparent like during the games or has it kind of snuck up on you so yeah that's surprising to me that didn't leap off um, you know, it didn't jump out to me while, while the games were happening. So that's actually a really interesting stat. What's, what's left out to me is, first of all, his defensive tenacity, which we know is, is there and is really his constant. Um, I've noticed him jumping into passing lanes and being very disruptive, um, getting deflections and even jarring the ball loose a little bit. And then obviously the shooting. Uh, Laz, you've talked about him as being sort of the prototypical streaky player. <laughs> and I think he continues to be that. I would love to see him find a way for the lows to be less low this season. I think ultimately, you know, if Josh Jackson is going to stick in an NBA rotation, he's going to have to have less of those two for 12 kind of nights, you know, because that just really, it's really hard to keep playing him when the shot is not falling. So I'm hoping that the, those lows level out a bit because he, he really can be a, a very disruptive force off the bench. Um, and when they're in transition, he's dangerous. Uh, when he's shooting the ball well, he's super dangerous. And then obviously defensively, I think he's always pretty solid. So we just got to get less of those you know, two for 12, one for nine kind of games out of them. So I think, I think with Josh that those two things are kind of related. Um, I think the the increase in playmaking that we've seen this preseason is tied to his decision to kind of slow down uh, his game a little bit. Um, like the the Spurs game, he was absolutely just like feeling himself. 
and uh, putting up a bunch of like mid range 20 footers that went in and it's like, you know, more power to you if those shots are going in, but uh, against the Knicks and the Sixers uh, in particular, there were moments where you could see him like scan the floor and, 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 uh, and look for, look for his teammates a little bit more than I think you could see him see uh, last year. There's a moment um, against the Knicks. I'm thinking of that, uh, like where he received like a swing pass and normally you uh, like his immediate reaction would be to kind of take a semi contested three point uh, shot. And it's like, it wouldn't have been a bad shot. It wouldn't have been an amazing shot, but it wouldn't have been a bad shot. And if, and he can make that shot. And, and so it's like, okay, that's uh that's kind of whatever on a possession. But instead of doing that, he immediately kicked it to Jeremy Grant for a corner three. And it's like, that is a much better shot than the one he was going to take. And that's, the the type of like offensive like bump that is not uh you you it does like like you said it doesn't like jump out the page at you when you're watching the game it's like oh he made he made a really nice pass it's not like a high level pass it's not an amazing like pick and roll read or anything but uh him choosing to you know kind of slow down uh not not necessarily like that pass is not like him like slowing down and then like making the correct decision. It was actually a really quick decision, but him, you know, making an, a good decision very quickly as opposed to just like shooting, I think is um, like bodes well for what we're going to see um, from Josh this year. Um, I, th- I love that so much. I love, I love that Josh's improvement this preseason is not just tied to him making like 50% of his three pointers like he was last preseason, right? This feels much more uh playmaking from Josh feels much more sustainable than uh than hot shooting, right? So like yes, there will be nights where he falls into the 2 for 10, you know, 1 for 12 trap, but if he's making plays for teammates um like at the same time, I think it makes those nights just like a little bit more bearable. And it makes the Pistons a, a better team, quite frankly. And so, yeah. So that is to say, so I've I've liked what I've seen from both Frank and Josh Jackson this preseason, um, with a with no like expected re- quick return for Sadiq Bay. I don't know if Sadiq's going to play the first preseason, the first regular season game. Uh, I don't know if he's going to play like the first week, first couple weeks. I don't I don't know when we're going to see Sadiq back. So Ben, do you think? You know, presuming Caden Killian returned to the starting lineup relatively quickly, do you think that third starter in place of Sadiq should be Josh Jackson or, or Frank Jackson? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I I kind of lean toward Frank Jackson because I feel like Josh Jackson's role as you know a primary cog of that second unit is fairly well established, and Frank's role is not well established yet um you know assuming Cade is start starting and comfortable defending the three which i'm comfortable assuming that right now i guess i lean towards frank a little bit because i i just i feel like there's value in having a guy in a firmly established role and and not being too disruptive to that right that so that that's the way i would approach it that's fair that's fair i was thinking i was thinking josh because if I remember correctly, after his hot start during the regular season last year, he began to be inserted into the starting lineup. Um, and, you know, a lot of his game is, is based off of confidence. And I think he would be uh, much more confident 
as a starter than than coming off the bench. But I do like the idea of keeping Josh's role um like the same regardless of uh other like injuries to other guys uh, across the roster. I do think that consistency um, would help him. So yeah. And like, Frank is, and Frank is a really good starter in part because he's so good as like the, the fourth or fifth option on offense as a guy who just like simply fits in seamlessly, you know, takes some open three point looks um, a guy that they can run their like pet movement uh, sets for in the first, uh, for the first possession of the game. Is I get I I get why they would they would start Frank Jackson if I remember correctly without Caden Killian they started Frank and Josh so it's not like uh, this is this is like a, a competition between the two of them they both started during the preseason but I will be interested to see if Sadiq's injury persists uh, what they end up doing with regards to the starting starting lineup um, and those two guys um, and it's also interesting it's not well it's not interesting but you notice I'm not bringing up Hamadou Diallo as a another guy who could take that starting lineup. And that's just cause he, he did not have the preseason. Uh, I think we, we either of us been hoped he would have. Yeah. He looks a little lost. Um, yeah. Doesn't quite look like he's comfortable. I, so he and Josh Jackson, you can certainly see some synergies defensively. I think I forget which game it was, but Hami had a couple pokes uh, on defense, you know, poke the ball away. It led to a transition opportunity. One, one of them in particular led to a, a runaway dunk, breakaway dunk for him, which I think is good. The more of that that can happen for him, the better. But he looked just lost in the shuffle uh, in the second unit. Um, wasn't particularly assertive. I guess on the upside, he also didn't force it. But, you know, offensively, kind of a non-factor so far. Still got, still got to figure out. I mean, we still got to figure out what the second unit is going to be consistently. And I think some of it is that Kelly Olenek has been so good offensively in the second unit that maybe there's just not a lot, not enough shots to go around, but yeah, Hami didn't do it for me so far. Yeah. Hami had one really noticeable defensive possession for me. He like, uh, there was a, an attempted dribble handoff with Furkan Korkmaz and he's coming, like coming from the corner and they tried to screen Hami like at least four times and he just would not let Korkmaz get the ball. It was like that. That was really impressive to me. But I don't. I see that level of effort defensively from him, uh, like most of the time, but not all of the time. And I would like to see that from him all of the time, especially if he's going to be as uh, as patient offensively as he's been. Um, yeah, we'll we'll say that. Uh, okay, what else did I want to talk about? So we've talked a lot about how the team doesn't really have Cade and how that's been frustrating from a fan perspective and how that's kind of altered what, uh, like what we can, like what we can and can't take away from this preseason, Ben. So when the team gets Cade back, what, what are the things that you saw? What are the good things you saw during the preseason that he'll make better? And what are the not as good things you saw during the preseason that you think Cade will help fix? Hmm, good questions. So I, I think offensively, um, it looks like there's a shared buy-in around Jeremy Grant as the focal point of the offense. And I I see Cade as the type of player and personality who is going to have no problem 
being patient and, and fitting into that philosophy. I think we saw that in summer league. Obviously, we wish we could have seen it in preseason. So I expect, and I think this is a positive, whenever you bring in a number one draft pick and he, he appears to feel like he'll be comfortable deferring to an established score, I, th- I think that'll be a positive. Um, but having said that, I think he's probably going to make Jeremy Grant's life easier because he's going to have his own tool set to wield and bring to bear on the offense. And I think you know, it's going to make things easier for Jeremy. Um, I think Jeremy has been really good off of the ball in motion. Um, and I think, you know, putting the ball in Cade's hands will not be in any way disruptive to that. Um, I'm hoping for some pace. Um, I've been hoping for pace for years and years and years. There have been moments where the Pistons have run. I think probably some of this is linked to defensive rebounding. If you're a bad defensive rebounding team, it's going to be hard to get out in transition. Um, and then I think the other thing I will say, you know, as we talked about the the stagnant offense when the defense turned the screws up a little bit, uh, Cade's a guy who can make his own stuff happen. And uh we've seen lineups where no single piston can do that right when Jeremy's on the bench. So obviously he gives you that, that outlet, that, that safety blanket, that security, we can give the ball to Cade and, and something positive is likely to happen. So, um, you know, those are the things I'm hoping for. Um, I'm curious to see what you think about these questions as well. No, absolutely. Um, the, the thing I think Cade will, the thing, the, the thing that went like fairly well that uh, I think it will make it a little bit better is the the ball movement, right? We talked about how there's one game where the starters move the ball, one game where the bench move the ball, one game where nobody moved the ball. Um, I think by distributing a little bit of the playmaking uh, in the starting lineup, I think that uh, Cade makes the starters a little bit more likely to, to move the ball. And I am less worried like be- because of the apparent chemistry between Corey Joseph and Kelly Olenek and the improved playmaking from Josh Jackson that we talked about a little bit earlier, like I'm less worried about the bench. And so I think Cade definitely like helps the, the starters uh, get guys open and keep the ball moving and even like finish some plays. Right. We, we saw him do this in summer league, right? He, he's a ready and willing shooter if you get him the ball and he's open. So I, I think he'll, he'll make things uh, hum offensively, in that way as well. And the thing that went pretty well that I think will make that he will make better is the, um, is the team defense. Um, the Pistons weren't necessarily like a, they weren't a noticeably good or bad defensive team during the preseason, but you know, we've talked about the rebounding and how that leads to second chance points and how the, the lack of rebounding kind of leads to a lack of transition play. Um, we've talked about needing rebounding from the guards and I think that's something that Cade can really, really contribute. You know, he's not, apparently he's not 6'8". Like, he, he was billed as being 6'8". Apparently he's only 6'6". But I do think he was a really good rebounder for Oklahoma State. I do think if um, if guys like uh, Isaiah and Jeremy and Sadiq are, like, hitting their assignments and blocking out, he's definitely a guy who can grab a rebound and, and just go. And that will be uh, a... a a great dimension to add to this Pistons team uh, once he's fully healthy. But yeah, like we, we still don't know when he's going to come back. Uh, he's still shooting uh, during shoot arounds and he's no guy doesn't have like a brace or anything on that ankle and no one in the front office or coaching staff sounds particularly worried. 
And so, uh, you know, I, I, I hope we see Cade sooner rather than later, but, uh, you know, we, we don't know exactly when, uh, he's going to return. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how the preseason went, Ben. Um, I didn't think we had 50 minutes in us, but, uh, but I, but I guess we did. <laughs> uh, all right, Ben, the first game of the season is on the 20th against the bulls. They play the bulls again. Um, think on the with the 22nd yeah that makes sense and then the regular season kind of gets started uh do you think the pistons win either of those two games against the bulls to start the year well talk to me about the bulls last are they going to be any good i don't love what they did this offseason kind of weird huh but they spent a lot of money and they looked pretty good during the preseason so i guess it's gonna work yeah I, I feel really uncertain about about that Bulls uh, Bulls roster. <laughs> so yeah. I yeah I don't know. I also feel very uncertain about the Pistons roster. Um, but uh, you know, I think it's possible they split. I think a two and zero start is probably a little bit much to ask for. That's that's definitely fair. Um, I feel like we will see K. I have I have a gut feeling that we see Kate opening night. I have no informed. Uh, you know, I have no back channel uh, sources or anything on this. I just have like a gut feeling that they've just been saving him for the regular season. Like, and I mean, you just got to have him for the starting lineup introductions, if nothing else. Like, I mean, even if he only plays 20 minutes, he is the number one pick. You got to trot him out there if, if it's not going to do any damage to his ankle, in my opinion. That is, that's that's a good point, right? Like, <laughs> like he doesn't have to play 35 minutes right. in this first NBA game. Yeah. No, yeah, okay, okay. I like this. I like this. So yeah, this is, that's my gut feel. We see Cade in the uh, an opening night, and uh, the game in which we see Cade, the the Pistons end up winning because uh, Willis Reed type vibes from Cade. <laughs> I guess I don't know. <laughs> All right, Ben. Good podcast, man. Let the people know where they can find you and what they can find, uh, where they can find what you've been working on uh, this off season. Yeah, well, come at me about Andre Drummond. No, I'm just kidding. I'm... <laughs> I think I'm Andre Drummond I, out. Yeah, again, we have no strong feelings about Andre Drummond. Please don't come at us. <laughs> Just stop booing him. Uh, at VR Galker on Twitter. Um, not as feisty as I used to be in my old age. I will say that. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm hoping to write some uh, write some more longish form stuff this year. I hope we have some positive things to write about, Laz. That's that's really what I'm hoping for. I'm I'm all done and all out of the putting pistons on blast sort of emotions so so let's have something fun to talk about this season is what i'm saying absolutely i hope kate is fun that will be fun uh to talk about uh like you i am also just tired i'm an old man now i'm 31 today i'm I'm, uh (laughs) i'm just i'm more tired than i used to be so i got i got no patience uh but you can find me on twitter uh at last chance that's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. All right, y'all. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you all next week. See you.